HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This is Capri Cafaro, host of Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm excited to announce a special series of episodes that highlight individuals that are both involved in agriculture and identify as part of the LGBTQIA community. In this series of three episodes, we meet an agriculture educator in Michigan, flower farmers in Iowa, and a fifth generation dairy grain and beef farmer in North Dakota. Agriculture is becoming increasingly more inclusive thanks to the leadership of people like our guests. For our first episode in the series, I'd like to welcome Anna Hankins and Shay Pesek, co-owners of Over the Moon Farm and Flowers. Anna and Shay are partners in work and life operating Over the Moon in Iowa. Well, Shay and Anna, thank you so much for joining the program. We're so happy to have you. Um, Shay, I want to start with you because I know that you are a Midwestern native uh, from Iowa um, and someone that grew up in uh, the ag community um, that ultimately, I think, led you back to to your roots. So um, please tell us a little bit about your experience growing up in Iowa and your experience with ag. Yeah, so I was born and raised in small town rural Iowa. I grew up on my family's beef farm And I spent a lot of time working with my family, raising cattle, and we also did corn and soybeans. And I was always really, really interested in agriculture, and I loved doing 4-H and FFA, and I was really involved with um, our county fair and the Iowa State Fair. And I always just had a really deep love and passion for agriculture. I knew that that was something that I wanted to continue in my life as an adult. And um, kind of as, as I've aged up, you know, when I was in high school and whatnot, um, I realized that I was a queer person and I had a lot of struggle and I had a lot of depression because I honestly didn't know any queer adults that were out in my community. I didn't know that that was even um, 
an option for someone to be queer and to be out in a small rural town, especially involved in agriculture. I really didn't think that that could have been a possible option for me. And you know how it is with media. It's like all of the different things that I've saw on TV or that I looked on online about, it was like so much of it was very urban situations like Mm -hmm. the L word or like South of nowhere or something. These media outlets were very focused towards um, queer people living their true authentic self in cities. So I thought that for me to be my whole true self, um, that I would have to move to a city and when I graduated from high school, that's what I did. I, um, my mom is originally from San Diego and it was kind of a a natural flow for me to go there. And I went to college there. I went to San Diego state and I lived in San Diego for eight years, but I always, through those eight years, I always had a calling and I had a deep love for my rural community and for my hometown. And I think, um, as I, as I became an adult, I wanted to explore that as an option. I never really, um, I never had an uh, an experience in Iowa as an adult, and I wanted to see if that was something that I could do. And I always wanted to be more involved in agriculture. I kind mm-hmm. of, um, I always had that just in the back of my mind that that was like something that I was really supposed to do. And so I moved back, and I did some other agriculture projects and um, it felt good and it felt really important that I move back to Iowa and be uh, that mentor that I needed growing up and being really out in in a sphere of agriculture and being in a public um, environment. It felt really important to me and it still does. And it feels like it's, um, yeah, it's just really important for our business to um, be that kind of role model and mentor that I needed growing up. And I think it's just, um, it's been really great to have a lot of the support in the community and, um, yeah. And we, Anna and I started over the moon, um, in 2018, late 2018. And then, um, yeah, we started our business together and it's been, um, a really great experience to, be out couple in agriculture in rural Iowa. Well, you've said a lot of really important and really powerful things there, uh, Shay. And I, you know, a few that just really struck me first being that you are so incredibly right that media is absolutely portraying, uh, you know, uh, out people um, having to go to the cities in order to be, you know, their complete self, their authentic self, you know, and, and, you know, being able to enjoy life and pursue their passions. Um, but, you know, you recognize that there was, there is a necessity for, you know, being that role model in the, in the, you know, in a more rural community, um, one that you didn't have. Um, and, you know, you're playing an important part and your business is playing an important part and your partner in, in work and life is playing an important part in all of that as well. Um, I want to bring in Anna. Um, if if I can, because um, I want to talk a little bit more about um, the work that you do over the moon, uh, flowers and farm, um, and learn a little bit more about the business. So, um, Anna, um, w- first off, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about 
you, because I, I understand you're not a native of Iowa, but you live there now. Yeah. So I have had my own journey to Iowa. I actually was born and raised in central Massachusetts in a suburban town, um, bigger than the town that Shay grew up in, but certainly not a city also. And I actually have also always had a passion for agriculture, a little bit different, again, from Midwestern agriculture, but I grew up uh, feeling very connected to some of the local farmers in my own community. It was primarily dairy farmers in New England and grew up with just a big love specifically of livestock um, Mm. and ended up studying sustainable agriculture um, in college. I went to the University of Massachusetts Amherst, which is its own kind of small town agricultural community, but a very queer one at that. So I studied sustainable ag and kind of thought that the route for me was going to be working in the nonprofit sector or public policy sector. I was pretty involved in a variety of food and ag justice um, related organizing work with farm workers and um, with other student coalitions in that realm. Um, But I thought that the nonprofit sector was where I had to find myself because I didn't know that farming was a viable option, really. I was pretty heavily involved in the UMass student farm where we ran a CSA and Um, had some firsthand experience learning what it might be like to run a farm, but didn't know what that future really looked like. So I actually moved to Washington, D.C. after graduating college and briefly worked for the National Family Farm Coalition and found myself actually visiting a good friend of mine who I knew through some of that food justice work, um, who had just uh, taken over a farm here in Iowa from a retiring vegetable farmer. And so I came out and visited her, and uh, it was probably the first time that I saw like a young woman successfully running her own business and and running a farm like that. And I visited her a couple times, and then I knew that I wasn't happy in the city, and I knew that I really wanted to farm. And I found myself like leaving D.C. to go drive around rural Pennsylvania. And um, when you start doing that a lot, you realize that maybe you need to make a change. And so I visited Iowa and in the fall of 2016, and I never left. So I've been here ever since. Amazing. Was lucky to meet Shay in pretty, pretty soon after moving here. And we pretty instantly clicked. Um, I would say that our, yeah, (laughs) if there's such thing as soulmates, I would say that we pretty, pretty quickly realized that (laughs) that's what we were. Um, so things fell into place together really quickly. I love this. I love this. It's it's an ag story and a love story. I mean, yeah. it's all of the things. It's all of the things. This is this is fantastic. And it's people moving into the Midwest, which we very rarely hear about, and moving into rural Midwest, which is less of what we. Because I come, I come from northeastern Ohio, which mm-hmm. we have some significant ag, you know, rural aspects of northeastern Ohio, but we're we're much more. Um, you know, industrial than the rest of the state. And so, you know, we're always trying to, you know, get the brain drain and, and get, you know, attract people back and, you know, trying to be the next, you know, tech, you know, area or whatever. And we, we often overlook the value of, of the rural communities. And I just love that, you know, young people, uh, women, 
um, you know, uh, and queer community, you know, growing in these areas across the Midwest. So, you know, all of the things, um, and you do all of the things or many of the things um, as part of your business. You mentioned that you, you know, were really drawn to livestock and you had dairy mm-hmm. farms around where you grew up. And, and it's my understanding that you also raise livestock. Is that right? Um, as part of, um, you know, what you do um, in addition to flowers, which is obviously mm-hmm. part of part of the, the name of your business. Yeah. So over the moon does, we do seasonal cut flowers. So from May through September, and then we also do chicken, turkey, duck, pork, and then we market beef that's raised actually by Shay's brother. And then we work oh, wow. with some other farmers um, in the area as well. But um, yes, so we have a quite the diversified operation. And for us, part of that has been, um, wanting to have a, a full-time business. So we're, we're selling and marketing, um, and, and producing 12 months a year. And that's allowed us to, um, have over the moon be, be both of our full-time incomes. Um, but we also are both animal people. And so raising livestock and, and producing food for people is one of the biggest joys I think that we both have. Oh, that's, that's great. And I remember when I, I, I had a chance to speak with Shay and, um, I, I can pose this to either of you, but I remember um, in our conversation that one of the ways you helped grow the business was to kind of um, latch onto kind of existing um, routes to market. So existing CSAs and, and some of those infrastructures there to get the flowers out and that sort of thing, which seems like a very good way to scale a business. Um, which whichever one of you want to address that, um, I think because I just think it's a good point that you're a new business, but you're tapping into that local network of existing infrastructure. Yeah, so I would say that both of us really believe that the best way to do things is through collaborative networks of people, especially as young farmers, as young women farmers. There is certainly room for all of us here and room for all of us to work together and, you know, things are better when you do. And so, you know, I would attribute a lot of our growth and, and I guess success over the last couple of years, um, to really working hard to collaborate with other folks. So we have, um, four, uh, other horticulture farms that we work really closely with and, they, um, in different capacities, um, we market both flowers and some of our meat through them. And not only is that market opportunity super important, but it also means that we're always connecting to people, um, to other farmers and feeling that kind of support because it can be really isolating um, to be a young person running a business. It can be isolating to be in a rural community. It can be isolating to be young queer people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so running a business that is kind of built on a collaborative spirit really, I think, helps um, with some of those feelings um, and is has helped us scale and grow pretty tremendously. That makes a lot of sense. How far afield do you do your products go? How, how far do you um, sell? I mean, is it just kind of uh, you know, in the local uh, region, or do you uh, do more in, uh, across Iowa, or do you ship um, out of the state? Yeah, so it's a little bit of a mix. So our cut flowers are primarily just a, a local endeavor because of the nature of 
you know, them being a really perishable thing and wanting to to serve the people around us. But uh, in terms of meat, we have a bit of a wider radius. We serve customers throughout Eastern Iowa, but we have also just begun shipping our pasture-raised poultry and pork um, throughout the Midwest. So just to the Midwest states right now, but we have expanded beyond just Eastern Iowa um, on that front. What kind of farming practices do you use? I mean, non-GMO, are you certified organic? How... Um, how do you approach, you know, raising livestock as well as, you know, obviously the horticulture side is, is a very, you know, different, uh, different beast, so to speak. Yeah. So we really believe that we are not certified. We don't have any certifications. Um, but we, Shay and I really believe that our biggest asset that we can offer people and what we believe most deeply in is always making responsible choices and being able to share that transparently with our customers. Uh, raising livestock or really raising anything involves just a lot of complex choices um, and a lot of gray area. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've talked about the media a little bit, but in general, like there can be a lot of like false information. or um, And we, we just really believe strongly that our best thing that we can do is tell our customers and show them. I really love social media. Um, I do most of our communications and showing people how we raise our animals and what that looks like in the day-to-day is really, I think, something that people can get from us that you can't get from just anywhere. Um, But we also really believe strongly on the food front that um, we will never use food shame or fear-mongering or... um, I guess those are the the two main words that come to Mm -hmm. mind to to sell our meat products because we just, we understand and know that there's so many um, complex issues of equity, um, especially around accessibility and price. And so when we're selling our meat and scale, there's just, there's so many complexities. And so for Shay and I, we really just feel strongly that we want to show people what we're doing and we're really proud of the products we produce, but we never want, um, we just, we never want that fear or or fear-mongering to be part of how we how we need to sell our meat because um, we just, yeah, those issues yeah, no, I, are top, I, top of mind. There, you've, you've brought up a, a lot of really interesting stuff here, and, and I want to go back to this aspect of fear-mongering and, and inequity and, and a couple of these other aspects, but I first want to ask about how you – um, you said you you want to be transparent to the consumer. How do you, it, in in, you know, communicating your practices and, and your values. Uh, how do you actually do that? How do you um, present your information in a transparent manner to effectively communicate what you're doing to those that uh, you know may be purchasing your stuff? Totally. And so I um, am very consistent about writing a, a weekly newsletter where I always am sharing stories from the farm, whether that's oh, this week we just got another um, load of day-old chickens and this is how we're caring for them and they're under heat lamps and I include photos. Um, And so I'm pretty consistent about updating people about where we're at in terms of the food that they're purchasing. That's amazing. And that takes a lot, that that takes a lot of effort Mm -hmm. that you do that. Um, and, And who, not to interrupt, but who is, you know, your 
consumer? Is it individuals? I mean, how do you find these people? I mean, that you know, I mean, if you just were to buy something at a store, you might not necessarily know um, or be on an email list. So, you know, I could understand if somebody was a subscriber or ordered a product, you know, directly to them. But how do you, uh, how do you actually reach those people? Yeah. So again, it's kind of a mix. Like some of them are folks that are already connected to the local farm community in some way, whether that's that they get vegetables or fruit from another local farmer. And so they're already kind of interested in that. So they approach us about wanting to say source their chicken locally, or they are um, folks that have found us through the flowers and they're interested in maybe sourcing some meat as well. We have a year-round monthly uh, meat CSA or subscription service too. So we have some folks that get a monthly box of meat from us that is a mixed species farmer's choice box. But we definitely also have quite the range of customers. I think specifically because of our location in uh, rural Delaware County, we, we have folks that are local to us that get our products that are, say, a night nurse locally, or we have some folks that are in uh, the slightly more populated areas like Cedar Rapids and Iowa City who might be like young queer people. So we really have quite the range. Um, but we also, in terms of showing our, our products and, and being transparent with people, I I pretty much post on social media every day. I Our Instagram, at over the moon, F underscore F, is pretty much I joke, nice. I joke that it's like pretty much a constant like live feed of like our turkeys because <laughs> they're so funny and I'm just like <laughs> constantly posting videos of them and um, and our other animals but they're my favorite so they maybe get more video content than anyone else um, but we're we're pretty constant um, in terms of the the social media content specifically around the livestock I will say one more thing about this because. In speaking to you know a variety of farmers and people that work in and around agriculture, particularly when it comes to livestock, there is this understanding and sensitivity that you know there's a concern about um, you know misinformation that's out there about how livestock is raised and ensuring that uh, consumers understand the the bigger picture um, and what's really happening. And so I think that you know your Instagram turkey feed is probably a, a great way uh, for people to kind of understand what's going on, which is which is just great. Um, I do want to circle back, uh, and I, we are running a little bit out of time, but I, I think that's important. I don't want to move on from your discussion around this fear and uh, and inequity because, you know, the, the concept of you know, food justice is something that it has been around, but I don't think has really found a voice until recently. Um, you know, it has not been as pervasive in, in larger, more mainstream discussions. And I think that that's starting to happen, um, you know, in a meaningful way. And, and so, you know, in bringing this up, um, you know, you're obviously raising some, some issues um, around food justice. And I just wanted to kind of get a little bit more um, in the weeds about what you mean about, you know, you don't want to use fear, um, you know, and you're concerned about inequity. So what what does that mean to you as you describe that? Yeah. So um, I personally and or Shane, I both like, I never want someone to feel shamed um, or I never, I never want to post something online or use something in my marketing that like puts, let's say my chicken next to a 
like to Costco chicken and then makes people feel bad um, because they, if they're buying Costco chicken, um, because that's what they can afford. I don't want them, I don't want anyone to ever feel like they're their goodness or their worth or their morality um, as a person is based on whether they can buy my chicken or the Costco chicken. Um, because quite frankly, obviously, um, it's we know that our, our prices are um, set in a way that allows us to make a living, but we also know that they're, they're much higher than a Costco chicken costs. Um, and so I just we don't live in a we don't live in a perfect world and we don't live in a world where we can just pretend that those issues of equity and access don't exist um and i just don't believe that anyone's anyone's worth as a person is based on their individual consumer food decisions um and so i'm really proud of what we do but it just cuz you don't buy our turkey doesn't mean that you're not um uh, a totally worthy human um, and a good good one. So, yeah, that, that, I mean, look, that makes a lot of sense, and I think that there is that acknowledgement. And this again goes back to that sort of inequity in food justice. I mean, if you, it's not something that you can afford, um, you know, you shouldn't be shaming people because of their their circumstance. And and it's great that you recognize that, and you know, try to shy away from those tactics just to you know, I don't know put people in a position where they, you know, are almost guilted into living beyond their means. Um, and, and what we do, I, you know, I think we do find that there is a lot of morality and value, self, you know, value placed around what we eat and, and how we eat. And, and, you know, a lot of, we, sometimes we think about that in terms of diet culture mm-hmm. or the latest, or the latest fad of, you know, is it ramps? Is it kale? Is it whatever, you know? And, and, and so I, I think that that's a good lesson um, to learn and, and probably something that needs to be explored a little bit more. Totally. And I think it's also important to just understand scale. Shay and I, I would say are at mm-hmm. the mid-size part of small scale. Um, but we're also even, even in saying that, like we're still raising so little on the livestock front, um, in comparison to actually making a dent in our food supply chains. And so I think it's also important to just acknowledge kind of our, our smallness in the world. I think there can be a lot of, um, I don't know if self-righteousness is the right word, but I don't want to pretend like we're putting yeah. more into the food supply chain than we are, even though to us, you know, we've moved like 10,000 pounds of meat this year, but that so far, but that's still very little in terms of actually um, feeding even our, you know, even our community. That's very little. Um, so sure. just being honest about that and and there's lots of really important parts of the food supply chain, um, you know, from from every person who works in it and who's every every hand that touches all the food that goes into feeding people is so far beyond just our our little small scale. Well, you can tell that that both of you have been very thoughtful in um, how you've. Uh, pursued your business in agriculture and how you interface with your consumers. Um, and, and so I just have, have one final question for both of you. And, and, you know, if you, you know, we have a, a very wide audience um, to this show. So, you know, a lot, lots of different types of people um, could be listening. Um, and if there's someone out there that, you know, is, 
in your shoes, you know, that may be a queer farmer that is looking to get started or wants to get into agriculture, um, or maybe even thinking about, you know, what would you have said to, you know, your younger self? What kind of advice would you give to someone that wants to kind of follow your path? Uh, and uh, I guess, Anna, I've been talking to you. I'll start with you and then, and then you can hand it over to Shay. So I think the piece of advice I would give to people would be to find mentorship. More than anything, I think that has been so, so important, having people to ask questions to, having people to support you on those really hard days, because there are a lot of those really hard days. And Shay and I are so lucky to have each other, but also I'm so lucky to have built a network of people. And that network has certainly reaches beyond Iowa. So I'm so grateful for the people that always pick up the phone when we need help. And I think the togetherness, both between us, but also togetherness just amongst our various communities is, is absolutely key. Yeah. And I think I have, I have to add um, that there is a place for queer people in rural communities and there are people that exist in these rural communities and there's a place for all types of people within agriculture. It's something that even if you're not directly wanting to maybe farm or something, there still is a place for queer people in a lot of these other um, environments. It's um, It can be a struggle for sure, but um, I think it's important to know that you're not alone, even if you don't necessarily see queer people in your community or know of anyone. We do exist. We're here. Um, people like Anna and I are, I'm sure, all over. So um, you're not alone in your communities and you can feel free to reach out, you know, to other people that you might know and um, people like us. We have people contact us like very frequently, like, um, that are happy to know that we exist and that, um, yeah, there's people that are queer and in agriculture and farming. And, um, we are like developing business and creating a family in these small rural communities. Fantastic. Great advice. And certainly for our listening audience, now you've, you've put it out there. So, you know, you never know, somebody might be dropping you an email, uh, and, and tracking you down, or maybe they'll slide into the DMS for, you know, watching the turkeys, you never know, <laughs> asking for, asking for some advice. So, uh, to both of you, Shay, Anna, thank you so much for sharing your story, um, with, with me and with the listening audience. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. Thank you. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, 
And please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.